Several years ago, I saw this. This was a list of uh, vision or purpose statements from some top Fortune 500 companies. And these are companies that certainly to some extent have excelled, have been successful, and they, they certainly know why they exist. And that's kind of an important thing for a company, a church, and for a person. L- listen to some of these purpose statements. Amazon, to be Earth's most customer-centric company, to build a place where people can come to find and discover anything they may want to buy online and spend lots of money doing it. Now, I added that last part. We have helped uh, Amazon this Christmas season. Starbucks to create uh, great coffee, to share coffee with our friends, and to help make the world a little better. Craft Foods, I like this. Craft Foods says to make today delicious. How many of you want in about an hour and a half, whatever you're over, to be delicious? That, that's good, isn't it? Toys are us to put joys in kids' hearts and frowns and scowls on their parents' faces as they fight the crowds in Toys are Us. No, it doesn't really say that. It says to put joy on kids' hearts, smiles on parents' face. Why are you here on this earth? To take oxygen and calories? Well, that's part of what we do. We're going to look uh, this morning. It, it, we're talking about the what is Christmas all about? And we've looked at several things, and we're going to continue to the next two weeks. We're going to start in Matthew 1, but we're going to look in Mark and Luke and John, all four of the Gospels today. But if you can go to Mark, uh, Matthew 1, would be a good jumping off place. And we're going to try to look at some of the purposes that Christmas shows us that your life and my life is to be all about. Now, this is a quick review, but it's very important to where we've been. One thing Christmas is about is sh- it's showing us what God is like. We talked about this two weeks ago in the full sermon, so this is a quick review. It's vital to Christmas. Christmas is about... God saying to you and me, I'm going to put flesh on myself where you can see me and know what I'm like. In Matthew 1, 23, it's our memory verse for this month at a church, as a church, and only by great faith do I believe any of you have memorized it. But it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They will call him Emmanuel. Read or quote this last part with me, which means God with uh, so this is almost a direct quote from Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 7, verse 14. Emmanuel is the Hebrew word, which literally means God is with us. And one of the things about Christmas, Christmas was, was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is also fully God, leaving heaven to come to earth to show us what God is like. In Colossians 2, 9, one of the many verses that addresses this, it talks about Jesus, for in him the whole fullness of deity of God dwells in bodily form. In other words, in, in Jesus Christ... We see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the New Testament. They could reach out and touch. This is who God is. So it's very important we start there. Christmas shows us what God's like. But that brings us to our second, our big thought this morning. When we see what God is like, we can see some of our major life purposes. I I saw a blog. It was last year. And it was a, a blog. They'd done a survey of... 18 to 24-year-olds, high school seniors through college graduate students and that age group. It wasn't surprising to me that they said 60% of this group said they did not know their purpose in life. They didn't know why they were here. They wanted to find their purpose. They wanted to have a reason. They wanted to matter. I would tell you 18 to 24-year-olds, 
That's not just your age group. That's my age group. There's people at the nursing home wondering today, why am I alive? And that, that is a very important question. What, what, what are we doing here? And if you don't know why you're here, you do consume oxygen and take up calories. We live life w- w- without a rudder. We live life without a compass. And so many of us, that's what we're doing. But I'm telling you, one of the things about Christmas is it's God becoming man. Can't understand it. Jesus came to earth fully God, fully man, fully the Son of God and fully God. But for us to see what God's like, but not only to see what He's like, but, but Ephesians 5.1 gives us a great jumping point for our lives. Therefore, as imitators of God, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. First John 2.6 says, if you're a Christian, you should live like Jesus. So Christmas is not just God showing us himself. It's also God showing us what our life should be like. When it says to be imitators of God, it's literally the picture of following a model or a blueprint. We're building a beautiful children's building over there. And and let me tell you, they're not going over there every day and just saying, what do we want to do today? Let's put some carpet down here. You think this needs some more nails? No, that's not what they're doing, praise God. I mean, they have detailed blueprints that they're following to the detail on everything that they are doing. And you need a blueprint for life. Jesus says, listen, I want to give you a blueprint for how to do life. I want to give you some simple, life-changing purposes that my life was about, Jesus said, that if you would plug this into you, your career, and no matter who you are, these fit you, your life will truly matter. Here's the first one. We are here to serve other people. We are here to serve others. Why am I Why am I on this earth? One of the things that we read about the millennial generation is they want to serve and they want to, to make things better. Jesus said, listen, that's what I came to earth for. Jesus said, I came to earth to serve. In Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus didn't come to serve, but... To be served, but to serve. We're going to see the last part of that verse during the Lord's Supper. Here's what's the context. The disciples are all near Jesus, and James and John, two of Jesus' closest ones, they come up to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, when all said and done and we're all in heaven, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? Now, Jewish uh, people of this day said that the right hand and the left hand of the throne was the greatest place you could be. People in Louisiana say that 2,000 years later, don't they? I mean, if you could sit at the right hand or the left hand of the king, that's the greatest place that you could be. And the other disciples heard this, and they were hot. Not because they thought James and John got out of line. It's because they thought they deserved it. And here's a neat thing. Uh, th- this happened earlier in Matthew chapter 10. But this time it was James and John's mommy who went to Jesus. Now these are grown men and their mommy. Don't get your mommy involved in your fights, men. Okay? And their mommy goes to Jesus and says, Hey, can my little boy someday sit at your right hand and your left hand in heaven? And again, they all blew up. And Jesus said, Hey, you got it all mixed up. Great means to be mighty or high. And Jesus says, I want to tell you how to be great. Now, folks, everything I'm going to tell you this morning, a lot of it's counterintuitive. In other words, it doesn't make sense, but Jesus is saying it it does make sense and it is absolutely right. Jesus says, you want to be great? Don't seek to be uh, people to worship you and to be the big shot and to have people wait on you. You should be the slave of everyone. Uh Uh-oh. What does the word slave mean? Doesn't that mean some biblical word that, that means you'll be the CEO of everyone? No. 
It literally means being in a position of permanent servitude to someone else or other people. It means to put yourself under people. And then Jesus says in verse 45, even I, God in the flesh, came to earth. That literally word came means motion from one place to the other. I left heaven to come to earth. I'm the son of God. I'm God in the flesh. I left heaven, the throne of heaven, and I came here to wait on other people. Is that not phenomenal? And Jesus says, that's what I want you to be about. It's a picture of a waiter or a waitress who's just not getting paid for their job. You ever had a bad waiter or what bad waitress before? I, I, I was not there. I did not experience this, and it wasn't in Ruston. But I, I heard a story of a lady who goes to a restaurant, and she goes to the counter, and you're supposed to wait to be seated. And so there's a, a waiter or waitress there, and the waitress is on the phone. And after four or five minutes, the lady realizes it's a personal phone call. And after she taps her fingers on the counter and Clears her throat seven or eight times. Finally, she hears the lady say to the person she's talking to, I'm going to have to get on the phone. A customer is interrupting us. That's a lot of service today, isn't it? But that, we take that not from a restaurant. We take that how we do life with other people. And Jesus comes in and he goes, I want to tell you how to be great. I want to tell you how to be great. Being great and, and a purpose of your life tie right in together. I want you to quit waiting on everyone else to meet your needs. Quit waiting on everyone else to serve you. Quit waiting on everything to be about you. And you get up and you expend your life sacrificing and doing for other people. Is that not counterintuitive? By the way, Jesus says, this is your purpose. This is how you'll find life and you will find joy. And you will find fulfillment in your life when you do this. How many of you know who Albert Einstein was? We have a picture of Al, I think. My wife did his hair that day. Peace, just teasing. You know, to have an IQ of 240, he sure did not have good sense in the mirror with a comb, did he? Albert Einstein was asked, what's the purpose of life? He paused. I'm sure Albert Einstein always paused before he opened his mouth. And he said, the purpose of life must be to serve other people. That must be why we are here on this earth. Wow. Jesus and Al were side by side on that. I want to challenge you. Some of you wonder, why, what, what am I here for? Now remember, whatever your job is, this plugs into your job. Well, I don't have a job. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Boy, does it plug in there. You know that. You don't need me to tell you that. Whatever you do for a living, whatever you do at church, quit looking to get the first place prize. Wake up every day and say, how can I make the church better, the team better, the business better? How can I help people? Christmas right around the corner. You want to make some people pass out? Get up and help out. Clean the kitchen. Help cook. I don't cook, but, but I'll clean. Find out where you can do something to make things better and do it. Why am I here? Let me tell you one reason you're here. And 98% of the people aren't doing this. Be different, and that's to serve other people. Here's the second thing Jesus says that we're here. We're here to win other people to Christ. We're here to win other people to Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Leave that verse there for a second. Every word in there is significant. Son of Man is Jesus, the Son of God. He says, I left heaven to earth, motion from one place to the other. He says, I came to seek, to be intentional, to strive. I came with effort to save, 
to rescue the lost. If you're taking notes, you, you need to write down what that word lost means because it's a bad word. It means to, to destroy. It means ones who are perishing, ones who are going to lose in the end, ones who are in a really bad spot. If you're not a Christian this morning, you are in a bad spot is what the Bible says. John 3, 18, it says that without Christ, you stand condemned right now. You stand condemned. You don't have to stay in that spot, but that's where you are. Jesus said, I came to save and to rescue those who stand condemned. Is that not awesome? The story in Luke 19 is Jesus is walking through a town and he bumps into a guy named Zacchaeus. How many of you remember as a kid singing a song about little wee-wee Zacchaeus or whatever up in a tree? Zacchaeus was apparently, he's kind of creepy. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. He was a Jewish tax collector. Worked for the Roman government. They were notorious to be cheats. They were considered traitors to their own country by working for the Roman government. But man, something's happening in his heart and he's trying to find Jesus and Jesus comes into the city and Jesus finds him and people are upset that Jesus is after him. Jesus doesn't care. And Jesus says, come on down, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus' heart's changing. He's saved and Jesus eats with him. It's the most awesome thing ever. And what Jesus is about, you are to be about too. Will you agree with me? That means everything. That means everything. You say, well, I'm not into evangelism. Oh, you're not into what Jesus was into. That makes sense. Well, that's the preacher's job. It is. It's yours too. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, listen to what Christ says to you and me. All of this is from God. He's talking about salvation. Who through Christ reconciled, made us right to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, folks, reconciliation i preached on that passage a number of times. It's not talking about man-to-man, woman-to-woman reconciliation, which is good. It's not talking about racial reconciliation, which is great. It's talking about spiritual reconciliation. And, and if you say today, my job is not to help bring other people to Christ, you couldn't be anything farther off from the truth. That is your job. Well, I'm a coach. That's your job. I'm a teacher. That's your job. I'm a stay-at-home mom. That's your job. By the way, preachers, that's your job. Jesus has left us here to help other people serve people. What good, are, what, what good are we doing people if we take them pizza and we clean up their house for them and we don't tell them about Jesus and they die and go to hell? Let's do both, amen? That's what our call is. And I know evangelism's gone out of style. It's not cool anymore. By the way, it wasn't cool in Jesus' day. I get tickled sometimes I hear people talk about their church and we're a teaching church. Well, so are we. We're, we're into worship. So are we. This is good. We, we're discipling. So are we. Some church, well, we don't really evangelize. We're into missions. How can you be into missions if you don't evangelize? And that's the first thing about missions is winning people to Christ. You see, a church ought to be about all those things, but if you're not about evangelism, you're a Bible study. You're not a church. And God's called you and me to be people who are reaching out our hands, helping other people come to Jesus Christ. Let me put you on the spot. If you died right now, how many people are following you to heaven, Christian? How many people have you helped come to Jesus? Here's a better question. How many will you from this point forward? I believe the people who can win more people to Christ aren't preachers. We're limited in our touch with the world. I believe it's business people. I believe it's students. I believe it's teachers and coaches. 
And that's one of the reasons God's left you here, to help other people come to Jesus Christ. We're not going to look at it on the screens, but if you were to go back and and read Luke chapter 2, do you know the first thing that the shepherds did after they saw Jesus? They went back and had a Bible study and studied the Greek words of manger. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Nothing wrong with that. Manger literally means cattle feeder, if you're wondering, in the Greek. You know what they did? They told everybody that they ran into about him. See, here's the problem. Some of us just hadn't seen Jesus. That's why we don't talk about him. We hadn't had an experience. Some of us need to go back to the manger or go back to Jesus for a fresh experience. God's left you here. He's left me here to serve people and to help as many people as we can come to Jesus. Sometimes it's just as simple as inviting them to church, praying for them, being nice to them, serving them. And bringing up that story about Jesus and what he's done in your life. Here's the third thing. And these certainly go hand in hand together. We're here to do God's will for our lives. We're here to do God's will. Serving is God's will. Evangelizing, certainly God's will. But Jesus gets specific in John 6, 38. Three times, four times. Again, the Lord's Supper will be the fourth one. But these three we see today apply right to us where Jesus says, why I left heaven. John 6, 38. I have come down, motioned from one place to the other. I left heaven, came from down from heaven to earth, not to do my own will, but do the will of him who sent me. Leave that there for just a second, please. That word do is a continuing verb. Jesus said, I came to continue to do God's will. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. We can't figure it out. Obviously, as man, he had the struggles that we have. Jesus said, I had to subordinate my will to make sure I obey God's will for my life. If you're taking notes, that word will is a simple little word, but man, it's a powerful one. I want you to, to, to get what it says here. The, the word will, it means what one purposes. It means one's direction. It's what should be done. But here's the kicker. The word will in your Bibles there means that which creates joy. That which creates joy. You see, here's what the problem with many of us this morning. We think if we follow God's will, we're going to be miserable. I mean, God's going to take us to some place in Africa where they don't have self-service, and we're going to be miserable, and we're not going to get Christmas presents, but we'll be in God's will, right? Am I telling the truth? Yes, I'm telling the truth. Or if you give, if you follow God's will, every area of your life, there's just going to be fun stuff you don't get to do anymore. So following God's not what's best. Nothing could be farther from the truth. God's will is you serve, you evangelize, and then you spend your life saying, God, show me what you want me to do. You follow the Bible. You ask other people, what's God, what do you think God's gifted me to do? And you listen to the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you stopped and prayed and said, God, show me your will. Show me your direction. You're in the nursing home. You're in the nursing home someday. God's left you alive. God, what what do you want me to do? Because God's will is your perfect zone. That's that's where you find joy. Ask God to, to uncover his will for you and spend your life following God's will. Let me tell you what happens. When you put these, these things together, you live out God's purposes. This is how we live out the best life. This is how we live out the best life. I don't know if it's a recent commercial. My mind's blurred, but I know it was an old commercial where Miller Beer talked about being the high life. 
the, the inference is drink Miller and you find the high life. Many years ago, I drank a lot of Miller. I'm not bragging about it. I'm just telling you the truth. And, and, and I'm, but I'm, I'm speaking from experience. Jesus is where you find the high life. Y'all don't believe me, do you? How many of you believe me? I promise you. Jesus is where you find life. Here's, what's ha- here's what happens when you spend your life serving, winning people to Christ, and living out God's will. Number one, you please God. Man, it pleases God. Wouldn't you like to go to bed at night knowing God's looking at you smiling? Sometimes I feel like God's looking at me and he's, he just wants me to turn over so he can hit me on the backside. Probably correctly. Wouldn't you like to go to bed at night knowing God is looking at you and smiling? You live out your purposes as he is. Here's the second thing. You make a difference in the life of other people. You say, well, how can I make a difference? Quit trying to make a buck. Start trying to make a difference. When you make a difference, money will come to you. It really will. And when we live out a life of service and evangelism, when we live out a life of following God meticulously in every area of our life, that's when we make a difference. But here's the third thing. We make a difference for eternity. We make an eternal difference. Hey, do you realize when you go to work, you say, well, I'm a plumber or I'm a carpenter, or I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm a preacher. Again, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, physical therapist, musician, whatever it is you do, I'm, I'm in school. Did you realize that, that God wants you and you can be an eternal difference maker wherever it is you are if you're doing what you should be doing? You can be, and you should be, and you will be. Years ago, before the first man went to the moon, that was in 1969, I think, wasn't it? Neil Armstrong and Tang with a couple of Tang steps on the moon. You remember that? How many of y'all remember what Tang was? It was terrible, best of my, my memory. I guess that's why they were able to take it to the moon. It was never going to go bad. It was just eternally good. But L- Lyndon Johnson was the president, and he was down in Houston at NASA walking around, and he sees a building and grounds guy sweeping a floor, and the guy's smiling, and he's whistling, and he's really tearing that broom up, and the floor is beautiful behind him. And Johnson, the president of the United States, is, is mesmerized by this custodian, and he goes up to him, and he goes, man, you, I've never seen someone sweep a floor like you. And the man was smiling from ear to ear. He goes, hey, dude, I, he calls the president, dude, I'm not, I'm not here just sweeping a floor. I'm helping putting a man on the moon. That ought to be your philosophy, isn't it? See, you never know by what you're doing when you're serving other people, when you're trying to help them cross that line with Christ, when you're living out God's will in your life, whatever it is you're doing, you're out of God's will, get in God's will, you can make a difference for eternity. And here's the last thing, you live in the joy zone. You live in the, the joy zone of life. We won't look at it again, but remember John six thirty eight. Doing God's will, part of that means it, it, God's will is what creates joy. Here's my, here's my experience as 30-something years as a pastor. There is a lot of grouchy Christians. Amen? There is a lot of unhappy churches. You leave, you feel like you left a morgue. Part of it is, is we're missing what God's left us here for. 
I think part of it is a lot of religious people that aren't Christians. They're, they don't truly represent Christ. But we've, we've missed what God's left us here for. You'd be amazed. All this, again, is counterintuitive, but God's always right. And when we serve, when we witness, when we do God's will, that's where we find the joy-filled life. That's where we find happiness. Hannah Whitewall Smith was a, a Christian writer in the 1800s, and she was very spiritually deep. And she, she wrote this one time. She said, perfect happiness is found in perfect obedience. Perfect obedience will equal perfect happiness in Jesus Christ. Nothing could be more accurate than that. I want to read to you something real quick that a screenwriter, Leo Ralston, said. He was asked, what do you think the purpose of life is, Mr. Ralston? And he said, I don't believe the purpose of life is to be happy. And I, I agree, happiness is a fruit. It's not the root. He said, I think the purpose of life is to be useful, to be responsible, to be compassionate. It is above all to matter, to count, to stand for something, to have made some difference that you lived it all. Live with purpose, live with priority, and live for productivity. And folks, that's exactly what Jesus Christ how he lived, and how he's calling you and me to live. And the question for us today is, will we? Will we choose to be this person? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I'll talk to you more in a moment, but I I hope God is, is punching gently on your heart to get you to do and to be who he's called you to be. If you're not a Christian, but you're ready today to cross that line with Jesus, pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died for me and that you arose for me. Come into my heart. Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a moment. And when we do, here's what I want you to do. Maybe you just ask Jesus to come into your life. Are you ready to do that? I'd be happy. We'll be happy to talk to you after church. Or maybe you want to come right now and cross that line with Jesus. You got a chance to do that. You may never have it again. You have that right now. Come and do that. Maybe you're ready to join the church. We would love for you to. You can come and join when we stand or or you can join after church. We'll help you do that. Some of you, that's God's will for your life. You need to do it. You need to do it. You're a Christian. Some of you are hitting home runs. I mean, you you are doing these things. Keep it up. Amen for you. Keep it up. Others of us, we used to be this way. And we can remember and we can talk about it and be proud of it. But the truth is, we're unhappy and we are not living out the purposes God's left us here. Where you're standing or at the altar praying with a minister, come today. Make a decision to live out the reasons God's left you here. Let's stand.